Well, good morning again. Hey, do me a favor. Will you uh, welcome our first-time guests and those taking in service online? Yeah. All right. All right. We welcome you. And uh, man, what a rich time together already from worship to taking communion and just being, uh, just being in His presence. God is so good. Amen. Man, He is up to so much good. And I'm, I'm glad that you're here. And um, we, I know we covered a few things already during the transition time, but I want to celebrate this past Thursday, we had our most recent membership meal. And I know I just asked you to give an applause, but come on, as this picture comes up, will you put your hands together? Welcome our new guests. Come on. We always do the picture after the meal because you don't want to see them before, you know, when they're hungry and uh, no. In all, in all sincerity, it is just such an honor um, with what God is doing here and connecting people in a local church and connecting people to Hillside. You know, one of the things we do at our um, membership meal is um, we go around and we just share our story. And one of the honors that Kelly and I have is hearing your story and how God moved and how God touched your life. And here's what, you know, I, I'm sure you've seen it, but, but your fingerprint, you know, your fingerprint is unique. You're the only one. You know, the same is true about your story. Same is true about what God's writing in your life. And that's why comparison is such a, uh, such a poor trap to look to our right and to our left. Because each of us, not only are we uniquely created, one of the fun things for us is to hear how people find Christ and how they find salvation in his name. And so we, uh, we got to do that this past Thursday. And, um, you know, we used to do our membership meal at the Olive Garden. They had a little room back there. But glory, we have a great... Um, great friends here at church who took us to the Cast Iron Steakhouse, somebody, after church one time. And we realized this is where the membership meal needs to be, somebody. And so, um, so we've just been going through. We've got new guests. We've got people who joined two years ago, but Olive Garden was not good enough. So now they, they sign them back up. Like, I need to, you know, I just feel like I, I need to come again. No. <laughs> sort of joking. No, no, I am. Um, also, you've heard it mentioned, this is a, this is a big week in, in a lot of ways. Um, in some ways, it's just another ordinary supernatural week, but as far as the Christian calendar goes, this is, this is a big week. This is um, Holy Week, or for some, they call it Passion Week, and today's a very, very special Sunday that, that begins that uh, reflection, that time where we just pause and we begin to reflect. I hope you can take some moments this week to reflect and pray and just again reconsider the goodness of God and the life of Jesus and His willingness, His willingness to obey the Father's will and, and journey into Jerusalem knowing uh, all the things that would take place. I want to invite you again. I know you're here this Sunday, and we love that. I want to invite you again this Friday, this coming Friday at 7 p.m. We've got a good Friday service. If you're asking, what, you know, well, what does that look like? It's, it's, more, it's more parallel to our night of worship, so there will be um, music, more music than usual, less preaching, all right, don't get too excited, less preaching than usual, and we'll again celebrate the Lord's Supper with communion. And then Easter, come on, it's going to be a big time celebration. I want to also encourage you, if you've got somebody in your life you're praying for, Easter is a great service to connect them with, great service to, to bring them to. 
All right, well, I'm five minutes in, so I'm, I'm running out of time here. I want to invite you, if you have your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, it's in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. Gospel of Mark, chapter 11. The first 11 verses record what is called the triumphal entry. And with it being Palm Sunday, I'm going to bring our attention to some of the things that were happening in Jerusalem and in that moment, and also the consequences uh, it has for us in our spiritual journey and in our relationship with God. I, I grew up, Palm Sunday was one of those days with palm branches and a lot of palm waving, but it wasn't until a few years ago I realized the significance, the true significance and the power of this day um, that marks again the beginning of Holy Week. And so I'm going to read and then we'll We'll also look at another passage together. So Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. If, if you didn't bring your Bible, just take the story in. Just let it settle on your heart. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Matthew chapter 21 verse 9, it records this cry, this um, declaration, this, this statement from the people that had gathered. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So we just read the triumphal entry. This is Jesus coming in through the eastern gate of Jerusalem. Jerusalem as a city, just go here with me. Let me describe a few things to you. Let me paint the scene. Jerusalem as a city has a population of roughly 40,000 people. But Jerusalem is the holy site for all of the Israelites, all of the Judeans. They go to temple, which is in Jerusalem, to worship. And here's the thing. Many, many families, if they can, they want to be in Jerusalem on holy days or holy weeks. And this is a very significant festival for the Jews. Very, very significant. It's called Passover. And so a city of 40,000 swells, get this, swells to a quarter million. And by some accounts, closer to half, if not three quarters of a million people. Jerusalem is, as shall we say, swamped. (laughs) 
It's busy. It's got, it's got tons and tons of people. Come on, just bring up that slide if you will. Let me paint the picture for you. I'll give you a few details. You can get a, get a broader understanding, but there, there, it's a Jewish festival of Passover. The families have made pilgrimage, and as I said, it swelled from 40,000 to a quarter million plus. It is loud, it is full, and it is busy. It is packed. The corn dog company is making a killing. Come on, the concessions are out. The festivities, it is, it is a good time for business. There's a triumphal entry that you may not know about. And it is a triumphal entry of one called Pontius Pilate. Because the thing about Rome and the thing about empire is they did not look too gleefully on a city of 40,000 ballooning to a quarter million. Pontius Pilate and the Roman soldiers were also entering. And truly, if you were to ask the masses gathered and say, hey, could you point me to the triumphal entry? This is the entry they point you to. It's the entry of Pontius Pilate on the western gate, the military side of Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate has come all the way down from a town called Caesarea Maritime. And he's come all the way down. And thousands upon thousands have gathered to see Pontius Pilate and his troops come in. They come in the western gate. Thousands come in watching. The cavalry is on horses. Come on, the Roman soldiers. Everybody's clapping. They're chanting, Rome, Rome. I don't know that. I'm just proposing. It's, it's getting loud. The foot soldiers, the leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles, somebody mounted on the top of the poles of the banners. It was looking good. This is the superpower of the day. Rome in all its glory. You're saying Rome and Jerusalem? Rome in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was known for riots. It was known for these false messiahs, these political zealots who would come to stir up trouble. And so you got to have the army in to shut down the protests, to shut down the riots. Pontius Pilate had arrived, and Pontius Pilate represented. He displayed empire. He displayed imperial powers. He mirrored what we would call the principalities and the powers of darkness. You can almost always see it all in the empire of the day. And here's the triumphal entry. Pilate has come in and People are roaring and people are clapping. But isn't it interesting for you and I that 2,000 years ago, we're celebrating the entry of another one on the other side of the city who comes riding in. Hear this, everybody. Not on a war horse, but on the foal, being the calf, if you will, of a donkey. This is your Messiah. Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? This is Jesus coming in. You could almost say that he has staged a counter procession. He has staged, he is, he is recognized, okay, it's Passover week. Okay, he's recognized what is taking place. And his crowd in this entry is made up of people called Judeans. Some of them his closest disciples. 
Other of them, other of them are just new to the party. They're just kind of new to what's happening. And Jesus had just raised somebody from the dead. So how many of you know, when somebody raises somebody from the dead, you kind of get interested. And these people came to see Lazarus. Gospel of John, it actually says that the chief priests and the scribes, they not only wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus. And here's why. Because many people were believing on Jesus because of the resurrection of Lazarus. It's remarkable. People have gathered to celebrate this. One who has come, the Messiah. Jesus riding in. He comes in from the eastern gate and they spread their cloaks. They spread their palm branches. And Jesus has just rather slowly, his isn't as fast or loud. His is peaceful, calmly, and he's receiving the words, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. On one side, you have a group of people celebrating that Rome has come to save. And Rome has brought their peace with war and violence. The other side of the city, you have a different group of people who recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And so they say, Hosanna. Hosanna simply means save. It means deliver. Hosanna in the highest means come Lord Jesus. Well, they're not saying come Lord Jesus, but we understand that to mean come Lord Jesus. Come Messiah and save us. For we are ruled And we are reigned by an empire that is destroying us, that's leaving us exhausted, that's leaving us weak, that overtaxes us, overworks us. And Jesus comes in and fulfills the prophetic word out of Zechariah chapter 9. It says this, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you. Hear these words, gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah verse 10 says this, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. You're welcome for that history lesson. All right. Jerusalem is very much a real city. I've been to Jerusalem. It's beautiful. It's remarkable. It touches your soul like no other city. And it gets, after about a year to two years, you start getting that travel itch again. Thinking, when can I go back to see this nation and this city? It is, it is, it's not very, very large. I mean, it's far larger now than it would have been in Jesus' day. But Jerusalem, not only for the last few centuries, but for millennia now, has been a site in which, for the Jews at first, but not only Jews, but Christians as well, it is a place, very much so, where heaven and earth meet. It's a mirror, if you will, of your and my heart. Of your and my heart. The two separate processions or triumphal entries are also an invitation of your and my heart. On any given day, any given week, any given season of life, we can either find ourselves declaring Hosanna 
in the highest. Or we can find our hearts trusting in the principalities and powers of this world. On Palm Sunday, I always just reflect. And, and, I, and, and honestly, as a pastor, I'll just say it. I repent. In the weeks leading up, I, I participate per- personally in, in Lent. And I just repent of the way my heart has too often been drawn to the western gate, to the powers and the principalities that promise things they can never deliver. There's a way our hearts, I don't know why, and I don't always know how, but there's a way our hearts are kind of drawn away at times from the Lord. And almost always, we have to keep coming back. We have to keep drawing close to the Lord. And I find, I know it's only a few verses, but I find the people we were created to be in that verse. Matthew, if we could bring it up again, Matthew 21, 9. Just the power of it. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Could I, could I tell you my prayer as a pastor over your heart is that you would Know those words and live a life marked by those words. Can I tell you, we don't face the same empires of today, right? Rome, we're not really talking about, I've been to Rome. Rome is nice too. But we don't, we don't face, come on, none of us are like, yeah, you know, like idol worship, we're down. Nobody talks in those languages, right? But for those of us who are on the other side of a life yielded to Christ, we can look back and see, whoo. We did bend the knee to idols. We did bend the knee to principalities and powers. Come on, idols take all sorts of forms. Idols take all sorts of uh, uh, um, um, worship from our life. And God keeps calling us back. He keeps yielding us back. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, nothing is like declaring over our lives that word, Hosanna. Hosanna to the Son of David. Can I tell you? You are making such a statement over your heart, over the direction of your life, when you say the word, Hosanna. Because in that moment, you are doing something so counter-cultural. You're making a statement that says, look, I have, I've tasted of earth. I've tasted of the ways of this world. And I've found, man, they cannot deliver like Jesus can. I've, I've, I've tasted of, of the rat race and the chasing and the hamster wheel. And guess what? It's left me broken and exhausted. And I found myself saying, Hosanna. Can I tell you, that's, that's just a simple word, but it means save, deliver me, God. Can I tell you, that statement, that moment in one's heart begins to change the whole direction. Of your life. I find myself part of this whole season leading up to Easter. I just, I just begin to reflect. Come on, idols are sneaky little devils. All right, idol, idols don't flash in the middle of the day saying, hey, stupid, what are you doing worshiping me? Right? The enemy, I don't know, the last time I checked, the enemy of our soul has not shown up with red, poorly painted on his body with a big pitchfork and a tail behind his hand saying, hey, I'm here to wreck your life. And we're like, oh, it's so obvious. No, no, thank you. 
No, thank you. No, no, none of us do that. Can I tell you, the idols of our life can sometimes be so subtle. So, so, so subtle that it takes us pausing and reflecting. It takes us recognizing. It takes us taking time to think. I wrote down just some things about idols that we have. Idols are anything we place as our true north for life. Just thinking about that. When we read scripture, right, we get strange names of gods and they're just really obvious. But can I tell you, idols are just as subtle and commonplace today. They come knocking on the door of our hearts. Some can be easy to identify, others a little more subtle. Anything and anyone we trust in our, or anyone we trust in, excuse me, as our life source can be an idol. I have here, ourselves as God. Now, come on, we're in church. Nobody's going to admit that, right? But so often we try to do things in our own strength and in our own ability and with our own knowledge. I know people not here, but that I've encountered in life, they have all the answers all the time. Wives, don't elbow your husband right now. This isn't about him, okay? But I mean genuinely, genuinely, they have all the answers all the time. Anytime they mess up, they've got excuses as to why it didn't work out. We can be ourselves, we can be a God, or a relationship. Have you ever exalted a relationship to such a high place in your life? That you didn't see it coming, but man, it just kind of slipped in there and got above Christ, got above God. You wonder why, why, why your every thought is so exhausted, why your heartstrings are just barely hanging on. It's because... We can just shift our hearts, if we're not careful, can just shift in that direction. A job can become an idol to which we all say, amen. All right. Money. You're right. Let's not go there. Okay. Lust. You're right. Okay. Again, poor example. Let's not go there. Power can become an idol of our heart. Think of that. Money can become an idol. We begin to worry, begin to live in anxiety. And can I tell you what worry and anxiety does? Let me just affirm if you feel worry and anxiety. It's part of life's journey, I understand. But one of the things I've learned in my own life is sometimes when I have worry and anxiety, it's because I'm holding something a little too tightly. And I'm looking to something other than God. There's been times I felt that, that weight of financial pressure. I mean, believe it or not, can you, can, you, can you comprehend that there are times we have financial pressure that we forget Jesus? You ever, you ever found that, that we can face such financial pressure or circumstances in life that we forget Jesus says, man, your heavenly Father knows exactly what you need. Look at the lilies of the field, and we chuckle. Oh, look at, the, look at the sparrows. And we laugh hysterically. Like, are you, is this some kind of ridiculous joke? Like, here I am. What do you mean? And God's all the while, he's saying, hey, follow me. Follow my ways. 
yield to me. And so we see in the statement, Hosanna, here's what I have. Two statements that it, that it means, that it describes about our heart's posture. Number one is Jesus is the Messiah. That sounds so simple. It sounds so basic. But to say Jesus is Messiah means there is none other. No one close. He has my not only affection, but he has my entire will. My entire being is yielded to him. You're right. It's intense, but it's true. These followers were saying, man, Hosanna in the highest. It's a different crowd that's calling crucify him. These were not the same. It's a totally separate moment, different context, different crowd. This group that says Hosanna, they had seen the works, the miracles, the wonders of who Jesus was. And they have believed and they're humbling themselves, yielding themselves. And what in essence are they saying? They're saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. C.S. Lewis would, would he, he didn't, this isn't quoting him, but he would kind of paraphrase it in such a way that, that each of our lives demands a narrative. Each of our lives is being played out in a story. Each of our lives, and, and, and if you have no story, you're kind of what would be called a nihilist. You're just like, well, whatever, existence is just here. But for you and me, our story is invited into the story of Jesus, into his story. And that statement is this, Jesus is the Messiah. That's Kona Ice, by the way. If you're listening online, that beeping is Kona Ice. They're here. All right. Your pastor is not easily distracted. <laughs> Squirrel. No. <laughs> Let's just all stretch our hands towards that side and pray. I can't keep, all right, so number, all right, Jesus is Messiah, all right, okay. And then second, trust he is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm talking a bit in broad strokes and describing one of my favorite holy days. I know I'm talking in grand scopes, you know, we sit, and, and, and if, if I was on the receiving end of this, I'd be like, well, of course, he's the Messiah, of course, he's the way, the truth. And the life. But I, I want to say this. Those are realities that you can experience. That we believe in Hillside that Jesus isn't just a belief system. Jesus isn't just an idea. But Jesus is the way. He's the truth. And he's the life. And when you talk to somebody who is walking through failure, who's walking through loneliness, who's walking through fear. We can be tempted to share all the articles we read on how to cope. But can I tell you, the culture around us isn't just wanting to know how to cope. They're wanting to know how to be set free. And that comes through Jesus Christ. He's the chain breaker. He's the 
Messiah, as we would say. He was the anointed one. The Jewish people, the the people gathered to hear Jesus, we could be tempted to think there's a lot of partying going on, a lot of excitement. But for many of them, there was a disconnect. Because they had seen roughly 1,400 years earlier God set a people free out of Egypt and lead them into the promised land. But the generations before them, not their parents or grandparents, I'm talking way bound on Ancestry.com, like way back, way back, way back. They had seen their lineage not look to God, but look to the neighbor's gods and look to the principalities and powers. In 67 BC, after a brief time of peace in their own local leadership, Syria came in, took over, and then Rome came in and took over put somebody called Herod. And so you can imagine that they're gathering and they're having Passover and they're reflecting, but their hearts are aching. And in this little pocket of Jerusalem, there's a few people who have the audacity to say, we've found the Messiah. Come and see this one who's changed everything. Come and see this one who forgives sins. Come and see this one who's telling us that the heavens are near, that the heavens are invading earth. Come see this one. My goodness, he raised somebody from the dead. Come and see who this one is. And so people would come, and I don't know how to describe it other than in our most desperate places, Jesus whispers what our souls need to hear. And what he does in that moment is he sets us free from a yoke called slavery. He sets us free from the bondage. He sets us free from the idols of the culture around us. So we're heading in, you can imagine, to Good Friday, just a few days away. I was thinking about that song, Oh the the Wondrous Cross, but also When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And I wanted to end the message with these lines. They're going to come up, but these five verses, it says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but lost and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most and put in parentheses right there, our idols. I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did ever such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads over his body on the tree. Then I am dead to all the globe And all the globe is dead to me. With the whole realm of nature mine, 
that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. About a decade ago, there's a, I can actually say this living here now, there was a local pastor, and he wrote a book, just a little one, tongue-in-cheek I said that, called Not a Fan. And he recognized what I think so many of us do. It's one thing to be a fan of Christ. It's another thing to be a follower of Jesus. Amen? It's one thing to enjoy from a distance. Maybe, maybe you're standing in the city of Jerusalem and you kind of hear these people, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. You're kind of caught between two worlds because over here you see Pontius Pilate and they're throwing out corn dogs and carnival rides and you're kind of like, God, I don't know. I want to encourage you. Turn your heart to Jesus. Give your life to Christ. Draw a line in the sand again today and say with me, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That's how you and I were created to live that our hearts are set free from the things that capture us in this life, that we would become his sons and daughters and know the peace of him that passes all understanding. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, Jesus, on this Palm Sunday. I thank you for your obedience, knowing what was coming, knowing what was ahead. Jesus, I thank you that you were faithful. Your word says that you humbled yourself even to death and death on the cross. God was so grateful to know your love and your goodness towards us. And I pray, God, for each one of our hearts, God, and all the subtle ways we can look to our left and look to our right, God. I pray that you, Father, would cleanse us from all sin, God, but cleanse us from all the idols that we may be chasing. Set us free to experience your love and your hope. In Jesus' name. I want to give you an opportunity just in this final moment here of the message, just to come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to say, God, I need you, to be what we call born again. To be found not on the western gate, but on the eastern gate, declaring Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Come on, if you're ready to surrender your life to Christ, I want to invite you to say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I need your mercy, and I need your grace in you. Forgive me for my sins. I give you my past, my present, and I trust you with my future. I'm recognizing you are the savior of the world thank you for saving me filling me with your spirit setting me free it's in jesus name we pray amen